That's the great thing about being here. Y'all can look back at the camera and like go like this because y'all get cupcakes and they get to drool over our cupcakes. Uh, but seriously, if you come next week, we'll get you coffee. So, uh, no, with that, let me uh, pray. God, I, I thank you, Father, for a year of your faithfulness. Father, I thank you, Lord, for a, a body of people that together and collectively can say happy birthday. <laughs> um, that this is a body of Christ. And Father, this is your church. And so, Father, the celebration today is a group of people looking to you and saying thank you for another year of faithfulness. Father, and I thank you, Lord, that the chief of sinners gets to stand on a stage and declare your goodness to those that are undeserving, as myself is one undeserving of your grace, but that's what makes it grace. And so, Father, we thank you. We love you. In your name, amen. amen. Last year on our birthday, uh, we had 470 people here. Uh, the week after, uh, we had 475 people, uh, and then a, I don't know, like a pandemic hit, uh, and so like this past week, we had just at, we were just at 100 people. It's been a crazy year, right? And a year that has us as a church, a year that has us as people asking like, God, like what's, re really, what's going on? And uh, I have a pastor friend up in uh, State College, PA, Dan Nold, no, Nold uh, through Converge, uh, more of acquaintance, but know him enough. And I saw this on his Facebook, and I thought it brought great perspective to what needs perspective. He wrote this, I think Jesus might be less concerned about how we gather and more concerned about how we scatter. If we think we need a building to celebrate the resurrection, maybe our buildings have become our tombs. Listen, the tomb is empty. So are our churches. Jesus has left the tomb. He's taking resurrection power to every corner of every neighborhood, and we should join him. I thought that was excellent perspective. So yeah, we, we celebrate the metric of people coming through our doors. That is a worthwhile metric. We look at that. We celebrate that. But I think what we've learned over this last year is that that may not be the end-all, be-all of metrics. Well, some of the metrics I celebrate from this past year is about 25 baptisms, people going public with their faith and letting the world know about it. I celebrate $22,000 during a pandemic year being given to local and global missions that are proclaiming the name of Jesus around the world and locally. I celebrate 70,000 diapers flooding our community. I celebrate the meals to homeless people. I celebrate the meals to hospital workers. I celebrate that elderly lady on Relentless Love Week that woke up, had lost her husband, and said, God, I don't know how I'm going to take care of my yard. And this crazy church knocked on the door that afternoon and said, can we rake your leaves? That week, that day, we were a miracle to her. I celebrate those metrics because I understand what many of you understand, that when we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we understand grace. We understand how undeserving we are of God Almighty. But God will look down and say, you are worth my son. You don't deserve my son, but I'm going to give you my son. So I am the most undeserving of Jesus that have, has received Jesus, and now I want to remind us, this people of faith, that we are to be on mission to the undeserving 
so they meet the Jesus that we have met. This is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 15. He says, now the tax collectors and the sinners, titles for the lowest of the lowest of society from a religious standpoint, were drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees, now when you think of religion, when you think of that religious person, when you think of that puffed up, like that, that stuffy type religious person, that would be the Pharisees and the scribes when they grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Grumbling and complaining. Why on earth is that a bad thing? Why on earth would these people that are in the temples serving, serving God, why would they see this as a bad thing? They would see people coming to Jesus in, in such manner and they would grumble and complain about it. He's spending time with sinners. That's so gross. He welcomes them in. He eats with them. That's so gross. The nearness of sinners to the Savior, these religious people found as gross. They hated the fact that sinners loved Jesus and he loved them back. It's like a person hating a doctor who doesn't understand the need for a doctor, who doesn't think they'll ever need a doctor, so of course they hate the doctor. It's, it's you and I understanding that sin is not, it is without Jesus, a barrier to God, but Jesus came down to break that barrier, but yet in our religious standing, we want to put sin back in as a barrier instead of bursting it through it with Jesus. We, about five years ago, Ava and I tried selling our house. We, were, we weren't getting very many people viewing it. The housing market's a lot different right now. It was a different world back then. And uh, so we were trying to sell our house, but we didn't really have a lot of curb appeal, so no one was coming to our house. So this really nice man named Joe from our old church donated thousands of dollars, and, do and uh, not thousands of dollars, but probably about $1,000 in like shrubbery and things of that nature, donated about 40 hours of his time and came in and just redid our whole, our whole front uh, curb area and uh, gave us curb appeal. And then all of a sudden we were having showing after showing after showing. And you know how broken Ava and I were? <laughs> we started complaining. <laughs> we started complaining that we had to pack up the kids and get out of the house. We started complaining that another person was coming to see our house. Like, how ludicrous is that? We needed to sell our house to move to Bayville, to move up here and start a church, but yet, when people were coming to see our house, we grumbled and complained. That doesn't really make much sense, does it, when you think about it? It doesn't make much sense when you pray for a new coworker to help you with the load of your job, and then to complain about the newness of your coworker. To, to you pray for kids, I'm guilty of this, and then you grumble and complain about your kids. This doesn't make sense. It is us who say, you know what, we want Jesus for all people, but when the homeless man comes in here early to church wanting to charge his cell phone and we complain about it, hmm. When the person out of jail comes and says, like, you know what, where can I go? I just got out of county jail right over here, and I'm going to walk through Wellspring. Do we grumble and complain about that? It's, you know what, I can understand Jesus for my beloved family. I really want my son. I really want my husband. I really want my daughter. I really want my wife. I want them. I love them, and I want them to know Jesus. But uncle so-and-so is a dirtbag. There's a hot place in hell reserved for him. And we grumble and complain when maybe the least of these come to Jesus. And so Jesus tells a story saying, you know what, 
I came for the people with issues because I'm the one that can break down that wall. Welcome them in. And so he tells this story. He says, so he told this parable, uh, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in open country to go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Not just like, hey, for, for a day or for a week or for like, hey, you know, I'll just take a, a little vacay and go look like until he finds it. Uh, and when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders. I've never laid a sheep on my shoulders, but I imagine it's smelly. I imagine it's stinky. I imagine it's not desirable. And he's rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me. He's already been rejoicing. Now he's bringing other people to this party. Rejoice. I have found my law. I have found that was, was lost. Just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus is bringing out value of sheep. In this parable, you and I can look at ourselves as sheep. You and I can look at the good shepherd as Jesus. He's looking at the sheep as those things of value. He's got 99. Why would he care about the one? Really, I got three kids. If one of them goes missing, I'm not going to look at the two that are still around and be like, well, I got two of you left. Mathematically, I'm still ahead. No, I'm going to say, you stay put. Daddy's about to go crazy. Daddy's going to break down whatever wall, whatever is coming his way to find that one lost kid while you two stay put. Jesus is looking at each one of his sheep and saying, you have value, and it motivates me to go and find. But mathematically, on the surface, we would look at it and say, this doesn't line up. Like, Jesus, you got 99. Really, you're going to leave the 99 in open country and go after the one? Yeah, it's a huge, huge risk. But when you value that one, that one lost sheep, it is worth the risk. This is an attitude of worth. This is an attitude that says, I am going to give of myself. Why? Because in Christ Jesus, here's what I know about humanity. Humanity in our sin is helpless but we are never hopeless because we have Jesus Christ. So you might feel hopeless, but where Christ is present, there is never a lack of hope. We are helpless, but Jesus meets us in that helpless place. And so where a sheep might feel hopeless, Jesus walks in and brings hope. Where somebody might feel directionalist, Jesus brings direction. Where someone might feel a lack of comfort, Jesus might bring, does bring comfort. We understand now, like we understand that when we turn to Jesus, we can understand that Jesus would embrace them. If someone comes through our doors, we can understand embracing them. If someone turns to Jesus, we, we understand that. But a people that do not even know they are lost, a people that are not looking to be found, that Jesus would actually leave the 99 to go after people that might spit in his face, that is untamed love. A God that would celebrate when sinners turn to him. A God that would celebrate himself, but then call others to party and to bring a collective celebration. Heaven is rejoicing. Heaven is a place of complete holiness. There is no sin in heaven, and heaven says it is not sinful to celebrate over sinners turning to Jesus. And so if heaven is doing it, why shouldn't we? And of all people, shouldn't we know 
that if we have placed our faith in Jesus, there's already been a party for us. Heaven's already rejoiced over me. Heaven's already rejoiced over my son and my wife. Heaven's already rejoiced over you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ. And now he invites us to be part of the celebration for another. Let me tell you about a partner in our ministry. We don't use the term members because uh, that's kind of country clubbish. Uh, we use partners. We're partnering together in the mission of the church. Uh, and so Ashley is a partner in our church. About a year and a half ago, she goes through starting point at the Raj house. I've told you about this. It was a wild time. And then she, she starts coming to our church, and, and she, she finds Jesus and meets Jesus and, and comes back to Jesus, all of those things. And, uh, and so she becomes involved here. She goes through lit leadership intensive training. We call it lit because we're super cool. And, uh, and so she goes through that as a partner, gets trained on leadership. And uh, we're like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, why don't you lead a starting point? So we have a starting point. We get signups. And not very many people sign up. And she's bummed out. And so we encourage her. You know what? What you want to do for many, do for one. And so this is a picture of Ashley on, on that first Sunday doing for literally one what she wishes she could do for everyone because a girl came to our church, another Ashley. Ashley, you have value and you have worth and I hope that you've seen that in Ashley, your starting point leader because you matter. Ashley knows the one matters because she has been shown that she matters and now she's in the process of showing others that they matter. Why? because she knows that Ashley matters to God. And so we rejoice, not only at the start of the journey, but every step along the way as we get to be part of the journey. That is why we pray for one. We pray for what, what other people want to judge. We're praying for them. We're waking up. This is what it means to pray for one. This is one of our values that we think every Christian, every Christian that says, I am attaching God's name to my, to my name, his name, and vice versa, like our name being attached to Jesus, then if we attach our name to Jesus as, as sons and daughters of the king, then we should be living out this value of prayer for one, going after people in the name of Jesus. And we think that this is a spiritual battle that starts with prayer that we're going to wake up every single day praying, God, here are people by name that I am praying for, that I am asking to be used by you to be on that search and rescue mission. And God, if it's not these people by name, God, sometime today, when that smelly jerk person behind me in Wawa is making a fuss, help me to be, have the eyes to share the Jesus and share love with them. God, give me a way. God, if it's not these people by name, give me somebody to show and explain your love to today. That is what it means to pray for one, that we pray and then we go intentionally after them. So who are we reaching that no one else is reaching? Because mathematically, I look at Tom's River and say, and say we have an untapped market of people that need Jesus. It's risky. It's going to cost resources. It's going to cost time. It's going to cost energy, but trust me, there's a party, and that party is pretty awesome. Trust me here. I know this from experience. If you go after the one, if you go after those that society considers sinful, you will be judged. You will be criticized. You will be seen as careless. You, you will be seen, you yourself will be seen as sinful as you do the work of your holy father. Embrace it and go on mission. Jesus tells one more, uh, he actually tells two more stories, but we'll look at this next one. Uh, he says, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. 
And when she has found it, she calls her friends together and the neighbors saying, Rejoice with me. I have found my coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you that there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now that's odd, right? Like Todd's my neighbor. If he calls me over and says, Hey, I found 10 bucks. I would say, I don't really care. That would be weird. But here's what we need to know about this situation. That this one silver coin would be the equivalent to about a day's wages. So it's not like a ton of money, but it's not a small amount of money, right? It's probably like your, uh, your Apple AirPods. It's about that amount of money where I've lost this thing so many times that now I have a tile on it to help me find it. And every time I lost it, I would turn the house upside down because this has enough value to me to turn the house upside down and find it. And then the whole family threw a party when daddy stopped freaking out <laughs> and we found it. It's that level of worth. Jesus is, again, telling another story to communicate that there is value. You walked in here feeling God forsaken. And God is communicating through this story that you have worth. You walked in here saying, ah, God hates sinners. Then you don't know my God. Does my God hate sin? Yes. But does he love you? Enough to send his son to die in your place. When we think about those in our community that are broken, that are sinful, guess what? Those that are down and out need no reminder from religious good people looking down on them that they're undesirable. Those down and out have plenty in society looking at them and saying, you're undesirable. It, when we think about it like from, a, from a needs standpoint, church, if we were to put those with greatest need and those with the least amount of need, those in society with the greatest need are all the people that have never said yes to Jesus Christ. Their greatest need in life has not been met. On the other side, we as Christians have had our greatest need met in Christ Jesus. Yes, life will be hard, but our greatest need has been met. And so when we know that, we go on mission for those that are needy spiritually to turn to Jesus. So rest assured that Christ loves you, wants you, desires you. He's going on mission for you. You are not God forsaken. So where you are looking for hope at the bottom of a cocktail class, where you are looking for hope in a one-night stand, we want you to find hope in one place and one place alone in the name of Jesus Christ. And when you turn to Jesus, let trust me and join me and know that that heavens celebrate. This story says that even the angels who represent and communicate the heart of God, they too celebrate over you when you say, I'm not going to hope in these things that perish. I am going to hope in the one that offers eternal life. We, I celebrate Jessica Morgan, who's here, with her mom and with her kids. Jessica Morgan, who, who, who understood who Jesus was, but had a time of maybe wandering around a little bit. She comes to our church a few weeks before pandemic. I've told you her story. She comes to church and she stays with us through pandemic. Here's what I celebrate. Her coming through our doors was the start to the journey. Now she's going to be, as of today, likely, a partner in our ministry. She's, she's here uh, helping us with quarantine kits, going out to people that are feeling unseen in society, and we're giving them, we gave them quarantine kits. She's helping out in guest experience. Her daughter's coming to youth group. She's telling people about Jesus. She's finding hope in the midst of, of struggle. 
Why? Because her journey matters, and that's, that's who we want to bring hope to. Let me tell you about Todd. I referenced him. Todd's here uh, helping out with our diapers, giving those away. We were praying for Todd before Todd ever came to our church. He was my neighbor. He just simply loved my cookies because my cookies are balling. Uh, and, uh, and so we, we did that. And so they're, they're great. Okay, but then he, he retires and he starts coming to church. Now Todd will come to every group and he doesn't even sign up for them anymore. He just comes to the groups. <laughs> he's helping out with the CKAs. He, he's now become a partner in our ministry. He's now on mission with us. We celebrate the start of the journey and we celebrate as the journey continues on. Imagine if we wanted to be a close-knit group. We would have started with about 100, and we would have stayed about the size of 100. But instead, we said, you know what? Those in society that need either the reminder or need the hope of Jesus, we want to share that with you. And so God has put them on mission. We don't just celebrate butts and seats. We celebrate people now joining us in a search and rescue party. So let me remind you of this value. Pray for one. Again, are we with it? Are we good with it? Are we pursuing it? Are we doing it? This past year has been hard, but did we make excuses around sharing with people the hope? Hey, I have needs. Jason, I got to meet my own needs. I got to get mine before I can think about other people. That's exactly what the Pharisees were doing here. Guess where society and Christians, they, they interlocked, they, they intertwined, they interceded, they, they went and they bumped into each other during a pandemic. Both the Christian and the non-Christian went to the valley together. But it's only the Christian that has hope of the mountaintop. And so this, this past year, yes, I understand the need to take care of ourselves. But it was also the greatest opportunity to share with the lost world the hope that we have in the valley. And so I'm encouraging us, no more excuses. Where we feel struggle right now, our unbelieving friends feel struggle too, but we have hope of a better tomorrow. And it's time for us to share it and to celebrate it. What do you celebrate? What brings you a sense of party? What is, is it simply when your needs are met? Or can we celebrate when somebody's deepest spiritual need is met? Don't overlook it. Jesus is talking to religious people that were mad at the shepherd for leaving. Jesus is talking to religious people mad at the type of sheep that were coming into the fold. Oh, do you know what you cost our Savior? Do you know what you did this? Do you know how low uh, oh, that, that, that you wanted? Oh, you jerk, you... And he's looking and saying, no, forget that. That's a frustrating way to live. Live with joy that people are coming to know Jesus Christ with all of their issues. And so my big thought for us in this online experience or here in this room is to pray for one, to, to have that value, but pray for one with an attitude of celebration, not frustration. Life's too short to be frustrated by those types of things. We should celebrate when people come to Jesus. Our mission statement is this, that we exist to ignite a craving for Jesus Christ by what? Relentlessly loving our community. I think throughout the history of our four-year-old church that we have done well with that. We, we, twice we've raised about 70,000 diapers or 60,000 diapers that first time to, to give out into the community. We've done twice now gas days to love the community, raise up a ton of money for, for the community, to love the masses. We'll clean toilets for the individual person in the, in the workplace. We'll do individual things, but we've raised a good bit of money to love the masses. That's great. We're in relentless pursuit of the community. We're going after one. We want them all to know God's love. We don't want to ask questions. We just want to say God loves you, and so do we. But here's my, here's my thought. Last week I shared with you guys that there are 600 foster kids in Ocean County. That ranks us third in the state 
but we are first in counties without a metropolitan area. Essex and Camden are the first two counties. 600 foster care kids, foster kids in our, in our county. 100%, catch this statistic, 100% related to drug abuse, to substance abuse. Some sort of substance abuse that leads to kids, 600 in the foster care system. CASA is doing a great job. They're reaching out to do this. It costs about $2,000 per advocate to come alongside these kids that feel unseen in society that feel like no one is watching them. No one cares for them. So now they have 130 advocates to come alongside the 600 foster kids. That leaves a gap of 470 kids that has no one advocating for them. And so when we thought about this Untamed series and what can we do on our birthday, Graham brought up this organization and said, this is an organization meeting kids that feel unseen. We can reach in and help them to feel seen. And so my challenge is this for you and for I. Where we've raised money to help the masses, where we've raised money to to do a whole bunch of gas, where we've raised diapers to do a whole lot for everybody, I am asking us on our birthday for a two-week fund called the, the the CASA Fund, where we're going to raise $8,000 to help four students, four foster kids. And I'm going to invite you to consider going to their website. We'll be blasting this on email and Facebook and social media, all those things. We'll be blasting this. I'm going to invite you to go to their website and be one of four people to sign up as a volunteer doesn't cost you any money, but it does cost you your time. It's comprehensive training. It's comprehensive backgrounds, but they have a virtual uh, training coming up in April where you can be trained and you, be, you can become one of the four advocates that we're hoping to send their way. Church, we have raised a lot of money in a short amount of time before to help the masses. Now I'm asking us to raise a lot of money in a short amount of time to help four people. Will we do it? I'm inviting, we're going to close with the song, Do It Again, where we've seen God move, we've seen him move mountains, we've seen him move a whole slew of things. I'm asking for us to raise this money again. Why? Because there's a segment of our society that feels unseen, and God is in relentless pursuit of them. Would you stand and sing with me? Mm